This is Herb Montgomery, and I want to take this opportunity to thank all of you who are supporting the work of Renewed Heart Ministries. It's people like yourself that enable us to exist and to be a positive resource in our world in the work of survival, resistance, liberation, restoration, and transformation. If you're unfamiliar with Renewed Heart Ministries, we are a not-for-profit group that is passionate about centering a set of values and ethics in the experiences of those on the undersides and margins of our society informed also by the sayings and the teachings of the historical Jewish Jesus of Nazareth. If you'd like to support our work, I'll tell you how you can do so at the end of this podcast. But for now, we simply want to thank you for listening. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 203 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. Our feature text this week is Sang's Gospel Q 12, 6 through 7, are not five sparrows sold for two cents, and yet not one of them will fall to the earth without your father's care. But even the hairs of your head all are numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And our companion text, Matthew 25, I'm sorry. Matthew 10, 29 through 31, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them will fall to the earth outside of your father's care, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth many more. You're you're worth more than many sparrows. And Luke 12, 6 through 7, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. We lose a lot when we remove this week's saying from its original context, or especially its context in Sang's Gospel Q. And and, and we, if we read it in a vacuum or or uh, in, in in our in a, a context today that's far removed from its original context, we lose out on on the quality of Jesus's nonviolence, which I believe is self affirming. The original context of Matthew and Luke is last week's saying, and Jesus is warning against uh, following a, a militaristic resistance. And he, he wants to win his audience to, to nonviolent forms of resistance. And today and then, uh, people considering using nonviolence as a means of, of creating social change, they ask the, the primary question of will it work and, and at what cost might it fail? Or, or just to put it simply, if I, if I use nonviolence, Am I going to die? And Jesus doesn't use a pie-in-the-sky promise of success to gain a following toward his his form of resistance. Um, Sparrows, remember, die, but they're valuable, and so are we. Jesus reminds his followers not to remain passive, but to remember how valuable they are. And he affirms their worth and and hopes to foster that self-affirmation and encourages them uh, to value courage, especially the courage to stand up for themselves or, or, or for others who are, who are being abused. It's a fearful thing to resist and to stand up to one's oppressors, and it can be even more terrifying to do so if, you, if you're committed to doing so nonviolently. The sparrows were of the lowest value in the marketplace, and yet Jesus is God, Jesus said, cared even about them. And if the sparrows were, were cared about, how much more were, were the people that Jesus was speaking to? Every hair of their head uh, was accounted for. And history 
does tell us that the people did choose a more violent form of resistance, and, and Rome's backlash was merciless. But, but we're not at that part of the story yet. In this saying this week, Jesus is still seeking to win his followers to nonviolent direct action. And when faced with a choice between passively enduring suffering and engaging the work of nonviolent resistance and direct action, Jesus encourages to, to, to that, that standing up is worth it, that you are valuable, you are worth it, and 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 to stand up and 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 don't remain silent. Jesus's message in the context of the of the last two podcasts that we've looked at. Three weeks ago, we looked at how he was saying, don't keep silent. Um, last week, uh, we looked at him, his reminder not to use violent means of speaking out, but but nonviolent ones, as, as nonviolence offers uh, your best chances for survival in your resistance. And then number three, um, th- that's this week, and that's you're valuable, you're, you're worth standing up for. And, and some teach that Jesus's nonviolence is characterized by so- passive self-denial or, or, or self-sacrifice. Uh, but I want to point out this week that this isn't true at all. When one considers the tactics of of cheek defiance, of of uh, n- public nudity or, or naked shaming of the society around you, and, and the refusal to play by the oppressor's rules, um, we see that Jesus is teaching nonviolent forms of actually resisting, not submitting. And again, we talked about this in, in the e-site on February 19th of 2016, and I'll put a link to that uh, where we talk about turning the other cheek, what it meant culturally, what it meant to to strip down naked in, in the middle of the market square, and what it meant to refuse to to to, to only go one mile but to push for the, the, the second. Jesus' nonviolence is a way for those on the underside of a society to stand up and affirm themselves. And these are selves that are already being denied by their oppressors. Jesus isn't encouraging them to, to further deny themselves. He's saying it, it, what he's teaching is a, a self-affirming resistance to violence and, and to oppression and to injustice. It's standing up and, and refusing to let go of one's hold on life, even if one is threatened with a cross for taking that stand. As Joan Carlson Brown and Rebecca Parker write in Christianity, Patriarchy, and Abuse, if you've not read it, it it's a, a very um, uh, challenging, uh, uh, paradigm-provoking uh, volume, a critique of Christianity. But but they write, it's not the acceptance of suffering that gives life. It's the commitment to life that gives life. And this is page 18. The question, moreover, is not, am I willing to suffer, but do I desire to fully live? This distinction is subtle and to some spacious, but in the end, it makes a great difference in how people interpret and respond to suffering. And, and and before we move, well, actually, we're going to talk about more of this next week. Um, a little bit of time that we have this week. I also want to talk about something that James Robinson brings up, and that's uh, Jesus's use of nature. And, and Robinson's claim uh, of an illiterate Jesus. And then I think this will be relevant as we start putting some of the pieces together over the next few weeks. But Jesus's reference to the ravens here and elsewhere, and, and his reference to how lilies grow and the grass of the field, and his illustrations concerning the indiscriminate sunshine and how the rain falls on everybody, it all brings to mind James Robinson's claim uh, for, for the literacy rates of the first century, especially among first century social 
the prophets of which Jesus would have been a part of. And James Robinson, in his book, The Gospel of Jesus, again, he makes this claim. He writes, practically no Galilean Aramaic of the first century has survived in writing, no doubt in large part because the native population was, for all practical purposes, illiterate. In other words, we don't have any books written by, by these people. Even Jesus, we have nothing written by Jesus. And Jesus, He goes on, Jesus was immersed in Jewish culture, for he would have uh, soaked up the oral traditions of his village. Since we are flooded with written material, not to speak of video images, it is difficult for us to imagine the extent to which oral material lived on in an illiterate pre-modern population. Robinson goes on to speak of, of the literate Essenes. They, they could read and write. Uh, all of this learnedness is very different from what is found among Jesus and his immediate followers, who not only were not learned scholars like the Essenes, but were largely illiterate. They could not have read the scrolls if they had seen them. Robinson goes on to suggest that Luke's literate Jesus, like in Luke chapter 4, emerged when the church ceased to, to be full of the poor and the illiterate and became populated by a, a more literate population, and, and the writing down of the Gospels was, uh, it wasn't even possible for the illiterate early Jesus followers. And whether Jesus could read or not, um, and that's the debate, whether Jesus was literate or illiterate, whether he could read or not, it's quite evident that his followers, his early followers, could not. And, and, and they were deeply dependent on the oral tradition. And this explains why Jesus often referred to what we witness in nature as evidence of, of his teachings, rather than using only literary passages from the Torah or, or, or other sacred writings as proof. And, and today, everything taught in Christianity is compared to what's in a book, uh, the Bible. But, but this wasn't an option for Jesus when his followers and, and possibly Jesus as well uh, could not read. Jesus called upon his followers to look around at nature and consider the evidence before their eyes. And here was a, a God who caused the sun to shine on the just and the unjust, the rain to fall on the good and the evil. His teachings are, are rooted in, in oral stories, which mo most of the characters were the, the, the of the same class as most of his audience. They were the poor working class. And Jesus didn't refer them to a book. He called them to consider the evidence they could observe. And this is very similar to today's scientific method of, of deriving conclusions from what one witnesses. Jesus took note of what he saw in nature, and he discerned from that a picture of Yahweh, not exclusively based on a book of writings that he had heard in a synagogue, but also deeply informed by the evidence of the natural world around him. He looked at what was right in front of him. And while we're talking about nonviolence this week, let's talk about Walter Wink one more time and his militant nonviolence. In our last podcast, I shared a lengthy portion of from Walter Wink's book, Jesus and Nonviolence, and that's been February's book for the Renewed Heart Ministries annual reading course. But this week, I want to share just a few more gems just for your contemplation. Nonviolence, Wink says is not the final objective. Nonviolence is a lifestyle. The final objective is humanity. It is life. Why then does Jesus counsel these already humiliated people to turn the other cheek? Because this action robs the oppressor of the power to humiliate. 
The person who turns the other cheek is saying, in effect, try again. Your first blow failed to achieve its intended effect. I deny you the power to humiliate me. I am a human being just like you. Your status does not alter the fact you cannot demean me. A proper translation of Jesus' teachings would then be, don't strike back at evil or one who has done you evil in kind. Do not retaliate against violence with violence. The scholar's version is brilliant. Don't react violently against the one who is evil. Jesus was no less committed to opposing evil than the anti-Roman resistance fighters. The only difference was over the means to be used, how one should fight evil. There are three general responses to evil. Number one, passivity. Two, violent oppression. And three, the third way of militant nonviolence articulated by Jesus. The issue is not, what must I do in order to secure my salvation? but rather what does God require of me in response to the needs of others? It is not how can I be virtuous, but how can I participate in the struggle of the oppressed for a more just world? Jesus abhors both passivity and violence as responses to evil. His is a third alternative, not even touched by these options. His teachings cannot be construed to mean submission. Neutrality in a situation of oppression always supports the status quo. Reduction of conflict by means of a phony peace is not a Christian goal. Jesus is the goal, and that may require an acceleration of conflict as a necessary stage in forcing those in power to bring about genuine change. Violence is not an absolute evil to be avoided at all cost. It is not even the main problem, but the presenting symptom of an unjust society. And peace is not the highest good. It is rather the outcome of a just social order. And the last statement I want to share with you, violence simply is not radical enough since it generally changes only the rulers but not the rules. What use is a a revolution that fails to address the fundamental problem, the existence of domination in all of its forms, and the myth of redemptive violence that perpetuates it? Remember what we read last week, and go back and reread last week's East Side as well with those Walter Wink statements, and, and, and stop and consider how valuable you are. That's the point of this week's saying. You, you are worth standing up for. You are valuable. And, and, and keep that in mind as we contemplate sayings Gospel Q 12, 6 through 7, are not five sparrows sold for two cents, and yet not one of them will fall to the earth without your father's care. Even the hairs of your head are numbered, all of them. Do not be afraid. For you are worth more than many sparrows. Heart group application this week. Uh, number one, what difference does it make to interpret Jesus' nonviolence as self-denial for those on the underside of society or self-affirmation instead? And what damage does the message of self-denial do for those whose self is already being denied uh, by those subjugating them? And then number two, what difference does it make uh, to define Jesus' nonviolence as militant nonviolent resistance 
rather than a, a passive non-resistance and discuss these differences with your group. And then number three, what difference does it make to define Jesus's teachings as the way of life that might inspire uh, being threatened with the cross and defining Jesus's teachings as the way of death uh, that uses the cross as a path to life? Um, what are the differences between those two? And what difference does it make for victims, uh, especially victims of interpersonal relational violence or domestic violence? I'm so glad that you checked in with us this week. There's a lot to consider in this week's saying for sure. We're going to keep plugging away at it. The next few sayings, we start to round a corner and get into uh, um, some some really uh, challenging uh, ways of understanding nonviolence, and especially how that nonviolence can be applied in changing our world today. For now, keep living in love. Keep, uh, keep up your vigilant work of survival, resistance, liberation, restoration, and transformation, engaging the work of, of making our world a safe, compassionate, just home for all of us. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Thank you once again for listening. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is done with the purpose of making these resources as free as possible. And to do so, we need the help of people like yourself. If you'd like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, you can make a one-time gift or become one of our monthly contributors by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Donate tab at the top right of the homepage. Or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24. Make sure you also sign up for our free resources on our website, and we have a monthly newsletter that we mail out, and there's just much, much more. Remember, everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is for free, and every little bit helps. And anything we receive over and above our annual budget, we happily pass on to other not-for-profits that are, are, we feel are making both systemic and, and personal differences in the lives of those less privileged within our status quo. And for those all already supporting our work. Again, thank you. Together we are making a difference, making our world a safer, more just, more compassionate home for us all.